chapter 5. We're going to use that as a launching place for our lesson tonight, Luke chapter 5. Glad you're in our assembly tonight. Uh, I knew we had a number of people gone this morning. They're out of town for the weekend. It's kind of showing up a little bit more tonight because we have so many visitors this morning. But we're glad you're here, and we hope that you're edified and uplifted by the time that we spend together. Several of you on a personal note have asked about my wife, Norma. And, of course, you know she's in Lafayette with a new granddaughter. Next month, our daughter Rochelle will have a little baby girl, and she'll be going to Florida. So I expect her to be home probably July, maybe August. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So anything, really? Did you say that? Uh, no, actually, I'm going back to Lafayette to pick her up this week. So Lord willing, she'll be home next Sunday um, for a couple weeks or so. And then in the middle of May, head down to Florida for our, our daughter's uh, uh, birth for a little girl. So anyway, someone said this morning, said, you sure are grinning big. And it was just my natural grin. I don't know if there's anything different or not, but it is exciting. And we feel very blessed and appreciate everybody's encouragement and prayers and uh, well wishes in that regard. Well, we're talking about effective evangelism on Sunday nights. And I want us to look at a passage here in Luke chapter 5 and read about an incident in the life of Jesus as he first called his disciples. The, this is somewhat parallel to Matthew 4, but I kind of like this account a little better. It gives us a little bit more detail of what we're discussing this evening. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. He then got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish so that their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the knees of Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This account, of course, tells us about the initial call of these disciples. And it's well documented to Bible students that several of these men that, and the ones we have in the story were fishermen. And you look at their lives, that they were just basically, at that day and time, ordinary folks. I think most of us are aware that they were not fishing for fun, uh, for recreation, or a pastime, but this was their livelihood. These were not men of great scholarship or influence or wealth. They were simply ordinary working people of that day and time that Jesus called 
to use the same qualities that they had used in their fishing industry to be successful in reaching out to the lost. Jesus said to them, I will make you fishers of men. That speaks of this issue of evangelism. And with the title that I've given the series, Effective Evangelism, is I begin to look at different ways we might approach this, because I'm probably just going to do two more lessons in this series, and uh, then when Gabe comes in, move on to some other things uh, starting in May. I felt like I really wanted to do a lesson on this, because you think about being effective in evangelism, there are so many parallels when it comes to being an effective fisherman to effective evangelism. And so we want to talk tonight about fishing for people. The first thing that came to my mind when we think about fishing for people as compared to actual fishing, you need to know what you're fishing for. Now, let me just say in the very beginning, I, I don't claim to be a great fisherman. In fact, I, through my life, have done very little fishing. When I lived in Florida, occasionally did a little bit. Uh, it was fun to go out deep sea fishing, and one thing that was fun about that, they knew where the fish were, and so you'd always catch fish. I'm not too much just sitting on the bank hours after hour not catching anything, but at, at any rate, I have been fishing a little bit, but I know this, the kind of fish that you're fishing for will determine your strategy. Whether you're fishing for bass or catfish or salmon requires different uh, bait, different equipment, and a different kind of timing. You don't catch marlin the same way you catch trout. And so when you think about fishing, you need to know what you're fishing for. And Jesus used the same kind of effectiveness in targeting people that he wanted to reach. For instance, in Matthew chapter 10, the twelve Jesus sent out, and he commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, why is that? Did Jesus have something against the Gentiles? Was Jesus prejudiced against the Samaritans? Well, no. And certainly we see as the gospel unfolds that the gospel went both into the city of Samaria and it went to the Gentiles. But Jesus had a purpose. Jesus had a target. Jesus had for his disciples a special mission, and that was to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and to talk to them about the coming of the kingdom. And we know later that when the commission was given that the gospel went to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. The Jews of the house of Israel were the chosen people of God. And so Jesus knew what he was fishing for, and he told the disciples, here's where I want you to go. Well, after Jesus arose from the dead and just prior to Pentecost, you remember Jesus in Acts chapter 1 before he ascended to heaven told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. And in Acts 1 and verse 8, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And so here is a, an outline, if you please, of the book of Acts, that the gospel began in Jerusalem. That was the target. And then they went out through Judea. And Acts 8, the gospel goes into Samaria. And then you see in, in 10 to the Gentiles. And then in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas begin their missionary journeys. And so there are targets, you see, that Jesus had in mind for them. And the simple truth of the matter is, and we understand this, you can't go everywhere at once. You can't be everywhere. And so there's nothing wrong with having a strategy at certain times to reach certain people. And so you need to know what you're fishing for. Secondly, you go where the fish are biting. And good fishermen understand this. It's a waste of time to fish where the fish aren't biting. Now, as I said a moment ago, when we lived in Florida, it was fun to go deep sea fishing because you got on these vessels and have this sonar, and they could find the schools of fish. So you always came back with fish. And that's the way I like to fish. You know, I want to, I want to bring something back. And so they knew where the fish were. Now, my uncle is a big fisherman. In fact, I have two uncles that live in Okeechobee, Florida. And my one uncle lives there six months a year, and he's the bigger fisherman of the two because he's only there six months. Then he goes back to Louisville. Uncle David fishes every day, every day except Sunday. Now, if you've never been to Okeechobee, you don't understand that. But in Okeechobee, Florida, you, got, you can go to the Walmart. You can go to Mom's Diner. You can go to flea markets, or you can go out on the lake fishing. That's all there is in Okeechobee. And so he goes fishing every day. He loves, he loves it. And he's figured out where the fish are. I've been out with him, and he's figured out where the fish are biting. And so he knows where to find them. And it's a waste of time to go places where you know they're not biting. Well, how about in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, and whoever will not hear you receive you nor hear your words when you depart that house or city shake the dust from your feet and so jesus understood that some people are not going to receive the gospel and if we're going to be successful in this mission of evangelism we need to go where the fish are biting we need to go where people are being receptive now, that fellow knows where the fish are biting. That may be a, a bit extreme, you see, but you need to go where the fish are biting. You know, through the years, I have known people in places I've lived that have been trying to convert the same guy where they worked for 20 years. Now, and, and have you ever heard this statement? Well, you know, you never give up on anyone. You know, actually, that's not exactly biblical. The Lord said there's a time you do. There's a time you don't cast your pearls before swine. There's a time when they don't receive you, you shake the dust off your feet. In fact, we see the Apostle Paul doing that in his missionary journeys. And so there is a time to move on. Oh, there may be a time when their situation changes or their circumstances become different or there's another occasion where they can be reached for the gospel. But sometimes it's just time to move on to another prospect. And so you go where the fish are biting. You go where people are receptive to the gospel. You know, I've seen people sometimes uh, come into a service and they, they're kind of drugged by someone, you know, uh, to a meeting or to an assembly. And you can tell by their body language they aren't interested. Well, there's no, yes, no sense trying to beat them over the head for a Bible study or to twist their arm. 
look for some interest. Look for a time that they might be eager and receptive to sit down and study the Bible. And that leads us then to a third point if we apply the idea of fishing to effective evangelism, and that is to learn to think like a fish. Now, I kind of use that accommodatively a little bit, to think like a fish. But in order to catch fish, you have to know something about fish. Some fish like smooth, still water. There are others that like to swim in rushing water. Some fish are bottom crawlers. Others hide under rocks. And so if you're going fishing, and I'm sure fishing in Texas is a lot different than it probably is in Florida, and so you probably have to know that. There are different places that you fish and to know what kind of fish that you're fishing for and to think like those fish. Now, Jesus knew what unbelievers were thinking. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Now, granted, Jesus, as the Son of God, has an advantage over me and you because Jesus knew the hearts of everyone. I don't know someone's heart. I can't judge someone's motive. And so what do you and I have to do? Well, we've got to work a little harder at this. We, we've got to be perceptive. We've got to listen. We've got to look at people's body language. We have to listen to their words. We have to try to figure out where it is that they're coming from and to try to understand what they're thinking. You know, when I go to talk to someone, have a Bible study, the first time I go, I don't really sit down usually and start with a Bible study. I like to go and get to know them. I like to sit down and find out where they're coming from. I want to know what their thinking is. I want to know what their religious background is. I want to know how involved they are in whatever religious organization they've been involved in and how devoted they are to that and if they buy into the tenets of that particular organization that you, you need to understand where they're coming from, to think like they think. And we need to be sensitive to unbelievers. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul said, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Speaking of non-Christians outside the fold of safety, redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, you answer each one in a different way because I can't stand up here and give you a blanket answer on what people think. It depends on where they're coming from. And those of you that have done any Bible studies at all with non-believers know that this is the case. Some people are very steeped in, in a particular uh, religious organization. And you've got to do some uh, unteaching of some things that they that they believe you've, you've got to figure out how to approach that there are other people that don't have any religious background at all one of the things that I've noticed in the past number of years and I want to use a term that that is kind of used in a religious world non-churched people now I said that one time at a place and someone kind of called me on she said well why are you saying that because why don't you just say they're unsaved okay they're unsaved but when I say non-churched, I'm referring to people that don't have any church affiliation, okay? There was a day, I remember when I first started preaching, that more people went to church than didn't. 
And so you could sit down with someone that had gone to church, and they knew the basic Bible narratives. And so when you said something about Abraham, they knew who you were talking about. Or you talked about King David, they, they knew the Bible uh, narratives. I'll never forget a number of years ago, I was studying with a young lady. Uh, that She was interested. And as I was studying with her, I said to her, I said, Janet, it's kind of like when God called Abraham, and she interrupted me, she said, who's Abraham? Well, I realized right there, I needed to back up a little bit and not assume things. Now, you know, when you're preaching, and I've had sometimes people say, you know, I come and heard you preach, and, and you talk about stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's hard in a 25 or 30-minute sermon to explain the background of every character and everything you're talking about, isn't it? It's almost impossible to do that. But when you're studying with people one-on-one, you can explain who Abraham is. Or you explain who David is after a man, after God's own heart, and what that means. And so when I talk about know how to answer each one, it depends on where they're coming from. The other thing I noticed, um, especially when we lived in Florida, that we had a number of people that our students would bring that not only were non-churched, they, they weren't even totally sure that they believed in the Bible or maybe even questioned if they believed in God. And, and a lot of times I had to do evidence to study with these people. And so I learned this. In fact, I learned this when I first, first place I preached full time. I got this Bible study. Now, this will date me, some of you old timers. I was using the Jewel Miller film strips. And that was before they'd gotten advanced and had a cassette tape. It was a record. They're like round vinyls, and they got like a needle. Okay. And we had a record you put on there. And now we had one that would ding and would move automatically. It's pretty cool, pretty advanced. Okay. And, but it was on this record, and the film strip would fast forward itself. And I went, to, I get this study, this older couple, and got all done with their study. And I just felt so proud. I was studying this couple, went over there every Tuesday afternoon, studied with them. And I thought after the fifth study, I was going to baptize both of them. And lo and behold, it got done, and they weren't interested in being baptized. In fact, we got to talking a little bit. I found out they weren't even sure they believed the Bible was the Word of God. And I've been studying with them five weeks. Well, for a 22-year-old kid, I learned me a lesson right there. I spent five weeks of my time, thought I was teaching and converting someone with people that weren't sure they'd believe the Bible. So, you know what I do? I sit down with someone, and I say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in God? Now, they may say yes or no. Now, if they say I'm not sure, that tells me something. I need to start with evidences. If they say yes, I say, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They say, yes, that's good. And then I say, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God and it's our source of authority? And so that we got, we got some common ground. And so depending on these answers, I'm going to answer different people, you see, in different ways. And so I need to be sensitive to that. You know what the challenge is for me and for most of us being Christians very long? The longer you're a believer the less you think like an unbeliever. That's just natural. You know what I think like? I think like a preacher. I I do. And so I've really got to work at putting myself in the place 
of the unbeliever. But if we're going to win the unbeliever, we must talk to them and find out what they're thinking and where they're coming from. Thirdly, you catch fish on their terms. Now, fishing requires doing things that are uncomfortable. That's, not why, that's why I'm not a big avid fisherman. Because, you see, to, to be successful and effective in fishing, you may have to get up real early in the morning before, before it's daylight and go out when the fish are by. My Uncle David does that. He goes out, he'll go out at 4 o'clock in the morning. Or they go out sometimes on Lake Okeechobee at midnight. I don't want to be on Lake Okeechobee at midnight. I want to be in my bed, you see. So to me, that's uncomfortable. Avid fishermen go out when it's cold. I don't want to go out fishing when it's cold. Or I see them waiting, waiting out into the water. I don't want to do that. It, I read this. I don't know if it's true or not, but they said that the average fisherman never ventures farther than a half a mile from a paved road. <laughs> the average fisherman. But a serious fisherman like my Uncle David, will they go to any length to catch fish? So that means understanding and adapting to the culture. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 8, Jesus said, Where, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Now what's Jesus saying there? Well, he's saying that you need to adapt yourself to the customs of the people that you're talking to. Don't question it. Now, my first taste of foreign evangelism, I was 20 years old, and Harry Pickup Jr. sent me to the, to the Ozarks in Missouri. Well, it was foreign for a kid that never been anywhere. Okay, that seemed like, I mean, I went to places that didn't have electricity and cooked off a wood stove back in those days. So I thought I was doing foreign evangelism. You know what? Those folks um, had different customs than I was used to. Uh, they, they lived differently. They ate differently. Now, most of the time, I'd say it's really good eating. You know, especially the lady that had the, had the wood stove who cooked. Boy, she was, she was a great cook. But I stayed with a lady that wasn't all that good a cook. And then I, I went to some places where, and, you know, I've always had a little bit of a weak stomach when it comes to certain kind of foods. And uh, more so when I was younger. And I had some, and I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I knew enough not to do that. But I can remember, you know, trying to move the food around on my plate a little bit to make it look like I'd eaten something. And then have to leave and go somewhere and find a hamburger. But I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I don't know if it did or not. I hope it didn't. I tried, I tried to follow this. When I went to Kazakhstan, it's the same thing. I mean, they, they ate a lot of stuff that I'd never seen put on a table to eat before for human beings. So, you know, that's just true as you deal with people in different kinds of situations. You know, there was an issue in the first century. The Gentiles have to follow the Jewish customs. Now, Acts 15 says, no, no Gentiles don't have to do that. Now, I think we understand when we talk about adapting to other people and their customs and their culture, that we're not talking about compromising the gospel, but we're talking about understanding them. We're talking about letting your target determine your approach. When you go fishing, you don't use the same kind of bait for every kind of fish. 
along these lines, the Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, for though I'm free from all men, I made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those that are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those that are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I may win those without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Why, Paul? I do this for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. You know, there are a lot of different approaches to evangelism. And there is not necessarily one right or wrong approach because we seek to adapt ourselves to people and their situations, to their needs, and to their hurts. You've heard the expression that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that's caring for people. That's understanding people. You know, you think something else about fishing. You know, fishing is messy and it's smelly. (laughs) I mean, you know, my, my uncles go fishing and they come back. They come back almost every time with their limit. I mean, they know where to catch the fish. And so they come back and they got this fishing thing down to a science and they put all the fish out there and they're cutting the heads off and they're filleting those fish and putting them in bags and, and freezing them and uh, getting ready for fish fries down the road and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you get all done with that. I mean, it's messy. Well, you know, evangelism can be a little bit messy, too. Uh, You know, a lot of times in churches, we want the fish already scaled, gutted, cleaned, and cooked. (laughs) Well, that's hard. I'm talking in a metaphor now, you see. Give me an example. I know of a congregation a number of years ago, and the fellow that had been brought in there to preach was known to really be good with personal evangelism. And they, they wanted someone really good with personal evangelism. And he was. He was really good with personal evangelism. And he got out into the highways and the byways. I mean, he was bringing people in. You know what? It's a messy. And one lady who t- told me this, and I had trust in this person, overheard one of the sisters say, Look at the kind of people that are coming in this church. What's this church coming to? Now, first of all, that's a very sad commentary on that sister. But who was coming in the church? People from the other side of the tracks. People from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. People from different races and ethnic groups than they were used to seeing in a white middle class church. And it bothered You know, and people not just that, but people with problems, people that have been on drugs, people that were in Alcoholics Anonymous, people that that had marital issues, people had problems. See, you you get into really getting evangelistic. Sometimes you deal with some of those kind. It's a messy thing sometimes. And so you got to decide: do we do we really want to be evangelistic? Do we really want to take the gospel? To the lost and the hurting that need to hear the gospel. You know, the Bible tells us that the gospel is not necessarily going to appeal to the high and the mighty and the rich and the noble. Now, some it's, for some it will. There'll be some. But not many are called, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1. And oftentimes, the one whose hearts are open 
of the very ones, if we're not careful, that we want to shun. You've got to catch fish on their terms and meet them where they are. Well, here's another analogy. You use more than one hook. Now, in Jesus' day, there were basically three ways of fishing. Matthew 17, 27 talks about fishing by a line, and that was a line having a hook on it. Matthew 4 talks about casting a net or a hand net. And then Matthew 13 talks about a drag net. And so there were these different ways of, of fishing even then. I've heard of people that talked about trout line fishing, where you attach multiple hooks to a single fishing line. Now, I tell you what my uncle does. They go out, and they find that spot on Lake Okeechobee that's, that the fish are biting, and they got their boat set with places to put their, their fishing poles all around the boat. And some of you have been out fishing like that know what I'm talking about. And they'll, they'll put out 20 fishing poles, and it'd just be my aunt and uncle out on the boat. And so they got all of them out. They're going to catch fish. I mean, because they're going to, one of those hooks, there's going to be a fish bite. And so that makes sense. If you're serious about catching fish, then you use more than one hook. Now, what do I mean by that when I talk about evangelism? Well, there's more than one way of reaching people. There are different kinds of classes. There are different kinds of meetings. There are multiple services. You know, we tend to get into kind of a, a way of thinking that kind of goes back to the 1950s of a gospel meeting. I mean, really, how many people have you seen baptized in gospel meetings lately? Now, I can remember even in my young life, when I, when I started, first started preaching, I can remember having meetings, three, four, five. I remember one meeting I had seven people were baptized. You know, that's a rare thing anymore when someone's baptized at a gospel meeting. Occasionally, occasionally someone be baptized. In fact, you know, it's almost a rare thing to have someone baptized in the assembly. Have you noticed that? Now, I almost always extend the invitation anymore. But really, how many times you have people in assembly that come forward? Not that much. You know when we baptize most of our people? After a class on Monday night or Saturday morning or Thursday night is when we baptize them. And, and so... Methods, it means and methods of change, you see, uh, from what it was maybe maybe 50 years ago. And maybe we use special services. Now, I've been places where we have tried to do special Sundays where you bring your neighbor day and you just preach a very simple lesson about Jesus and, and try to whet their appetite maybe out of that, that you, that you get some Bible studies. Or maybe you do some special classes that you advertise to get people to come on a Wednesday night or a Monday night or some other time. But there are just a number of ways. That's using more than one hook. Whether you use correspondence courses or use things online or you use Facebook. There, there are a lot of different ways. And so we've got to start in our day of, of multimedia and technology, I think, thinking of more ways to put out more hooks to be able to reach people. Let me tell you something else. That costs money to fish. Ask my Uncle David about that. You know, you go out and you buy a boat, and uh, then you go down and get your bait, and you buy gas. And you go out and you fish. 
I never forget what my uncle does. He goes back to Louisville for six months, and he catches all these fish, and they freeze them, and, and then they pack them in coolers. He takes them back to Louisville, and every week he and my aunt have fish fries. And in a given summer, they will feed 450 to 500 people. And they, they'll have 30 to 40 people in a week. Uh, they know people all over, all over Louisville and have people in for fish fries. He's, he's in the fish fry ministry, you see. And so that's what they do. Well, one of our good friends that I knew when I lived in Louisville was invited several times to his house to eat fish. And, and uh, this fellow, I know, he, he, he's the kind, you know, some people when you go out, uh, fumble for their billfold, they, you know, when you go out and they, and then other people got their money out and they want to pay their way. Well, this guy was one of those guys, he would always pay his way. And so he said to my uncle, he said, uh, David, he said, I, you, you've had me over here a lot. He said, let me, let me help out with the cost of this a little bit. Reach for his billfold. And David said, you can't afford it. He said, well, no, you know, I, what do you mean by that? He said, well, this fish cost about $100 a pound. <laughs> And what was David's point? Well, I mean, when you figure in, you're not you're not getting it cheaper. Time you figure out the cost of the boat and the gas and everything else, you're having fun. I mean, that's his form of recreation. It costs money to fish. Well, it costs money to be a fisherman. You have facilities, you have equipment, you have advertising, you have materials, you have technology, you have class materials, you have gospel preachers, you have meetings. You, I mean, all of these things cost money. And so if we're going to be fishers of men, then we need to understand it's going to cost money. Then it takes the right attitude if we're going to be fishing for people. It takes patience a good fisherman has patience you have to wait to the fish to bite and someone like myself that is restless and quick to move is not going to make a real good fisherman you got to be patient you know it's that way in evangelism that, that you got to be patient with people and you got to move at the pace I, i've had studies that I, I understood with the background of the person, the knowledge of the person, that I thought they could be converted in one study. And I've had studies where one study a person was ready to be baptized. Now, not often, but I have had a few like that. And then I've had studies where we went for three or four months before a person was ready. And it takes a lot of patience to be able to work with someone and, ha and have the right attitude toward them. It takes persistence. A good fisherman doesn't get discouraged and quit. They may go all day and not have a single bite, but they don't quit. I know David said, you know, there, there are days, it's a bad day if they only get three or four fish. I mean, they're used to getting their limit. But they don't say, well, shh, I quit. I'm not going to fish. No, he goes out the next day, looks for a different spot. And so we have to be persistent. And so if you talk to someone about a study and they say, no, you don't give up. Or if you have a study with someone and get done and they don't obey the gospel, you don't quit. And so we are, we are persistent with that. We can't give up and quit. And then it takes courage. I'm reminded of an old Greek proverb of the fisherman who said, my boat is so small and the sea is so large. And sometimes we can feel like that in fishing for men. That we face storms, we face turbulent waters, and we are out there, and it seems like the world is so big and we're so small that we must be of good courage. And then finally, you have to take fishing seriously. 
Now, most of us may fish for a hobby, but the apostles fish for their livelihood. And if you and I are going to be successful and effective in fishing spiritually for people, we have got to look at evangelism as more than just some hobby or something that we might occasionally do. We've got to look at the seriousness of the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Effective evangelism is a lot like fishing. Peter and John and James were in the business of fishing for a livelihood. Jesus said, leave your boats, leave your nets, and I want to make you fishers of men. And we read in this book of their effectiveness. We would do well to emulate these kinds of qualities so that we too can be effective in evangelism. Well, as we close tonight, I hope this lesson has been helpful for us to give us maybe some insight, some encouragement, and maybe even some inspiration and motivation that we too might follow the call of Christ and answer that call that we might fish for those that need to come and hear the gospel. I wonder if there's one here tonight that needs to answer the gospel call. If you have not obeyed the gospel through faith and repentance and baptism, we would encourage you to do that tonight. If you have a need and we can help you to encourage you or lift you in prayer before the throne of God, we also invite you. What together we stand and what we sing.